Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just $60, bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to Rule the World, the art and power of storytelling. Storytelling is what connects us as humans, and for brands, it is no different. A well-told story can effectively position your brand in the minds and hearts of your audience and can convert thoughts and feelings into results and revenue. On this show, we dive into the unique and recurring principles of world-class storytellers from every walk of life to help you level up your storytelling skills and knowledge to drive real, measurable results for you and your organization. Here's your host, Paul Furlong. Hello and welcome to Rule the World, the art and power of storytelling. I'm your host, Paul Furlong. Just a quick reminder that my book, Rule the World, Master the Power of Storytelling to Inspire, Influence and Succeed is now available. You can get hold of your copy in all good bookshops, including Amazon and Kindle, Waterstones and WH Smith in the UK, Barnes and Noble in the US, and all good bookshops throughout the rest of the world. Anyway, without further ado, we're going to do something slightly different. This is a special podcast episode and I'm delighted that our guest today is uh, Ian McMichael. He's one of our sales trainers here at Opus Media and if there's something about sales that he doesn't know, it's probably not worth talking about. And the reason that Ian's on today is because when I released my book last uh, October, Ian and I sat down uh, over a coffee in a hotel in Manchester and uh, and we talked about the book, Ian had read it and um we had a really good in-depth chat about it. And uh, we started talking about it again a couple of weeks ago around a particular chapter, which we'll get to in a minute. And uh, we thought it'd be a nice idea just to chat about that chapter and record our discussion about it in case anyone else might be interested in it. So before we get into that discussion, I think it might be a good idea to bring Ian in and let him introduce himself. So Ian, why don't you spend a couple of minutes just introducing yourself? Hello. Happy to. Um, probably more interested to talk about the chapter, but happy to do a quick introduction. So I help people get comfortable confessing to their mothers and fathers that they're really in sales. I tend to work with professional service people. Um, and yeah, they are, you know, fooling themselves, telling themselves that sales is not a big part of their job or just telling themselves that it's all about being liked. And as we've had many discussions, Paul, it's not about being liked because people tend to buy from people like them and there's a big distinction between being liked and people like them and there's two um, 
subtle, it's one word difference, but that is sales, that is communication, the world that we all live in. Amazing. And you are absolutely spectacular at what you do. And just tell us about the name of your company. The company's just called IGM Ventures, which is just my initials, which is terribly uninventive. Um, working the whole marketing and sales sphere, it's one I always have to make it. It's just where I'm like, we do sales and direct outreach. Don't really concentrate on the branding side of things, which probably tells you that I should be. I need to change my branding, but I don't want to, um, which maybe brings us on to the topic of today's conversations. <laughs> Chapter two, in particular, the one I need. And Paul's going to be too... Um, too humble to, to say this, but when he says we got went for a coffee at a, a hotel in Manchester, that is perfectly true. What really happened was I essentially fanboy vomited and skewed all over Paul for the better part of, I think, of an hour and a half, um, particularly around this point, which when I think I read it, it just smacked me in the middle of my forehead. Um, and it was one of those moments where you think, God, how did I not notice that before? That's so obvious and brilliant um, and so vital to really emotionally connecting with storytelling. And lots of other areas of life. And I suppose that's what we're going to end up riffing off of today. That's the idea. So um, the chapter two in, in Rule the World talks around about connecting with your audience and connecting with the right audience for you. Because if you sell, if you try and sell to everybody, you'll end up selling to nobody. The chapter opens with a, a story, which I won't go into now. If, you, if you've got the book, you can read it. If you haven't got the book, you can get the book and read it. Um, but the first thing that we get into uh, in the chapter is around about uh, want versus need. So, Ian, what was it? Because that was the thing that that kind of started this discussion when we were in the hotel. Yeah. What what was it that kind of you've just said it kind of smacked you in the face? So, what was it about this want versus need? This uh, kind of bit in the chapter that really uh, kind of hit you in the face. Well, it's, we should, we, I, I was joking that just in the little intro there about having a conversation with a friend on this on Saturday night over a few whiskeys, obviously another passion of mine. Um, I feel we should caveat, put a disclaimer on, like please stop listening if, if you want to really just enjoy Disney movies as you enjoy them and watch them and not notice these patterns. Because once these patterns are pointed out, you cannot not notice them. Um, and my wife actually bans me from mentioning anything about this as we're watching films because I just start spewing information about the patterns that are being used and why they're doing them. And, and my wife just said, for goodness sake, and I just want to enjoy the film. Um, so, so that disclaimer, what is it that smacked me in the face? I think it's that, um, frankly, having read and been around a lot of marketing stories, and we've all seen the terrible marketing stories that exist out there with the sort of fake, full challenges of, Moving from, oh my God, there was no business due to look, there was lots of business with a couple of challenges that are mediocre at best. Um, and I've never been able to put my finger on why, when I read them, I just felt slimy and skeezy and like, ugh, that's just rubbish. Um, and I think a lot of that comes, or for me, when I read this point, I, I think a lot of it comes down to exactly this point, which is this wants this want for external things that we all don't actually really want when we dig beneath the surface and the journey to what the character actually needs to realize in the center of the story and just how important that component is to really get an emotional connection to a story and to really properly consider that um so so it was that it was it was, it was seeing a lot of terrible storytelling 
and and then identifying this point, that's that's the real guts of what I think is missing. That there, I was just having no emotional connection with a lot of the, the business stories I was reading at the time. And it, it comes back to this um, this want versus need, doesn't it? And when you have a look at, um, you mentioned Disney films. Often in a Disney film, the uh, protagonist will sing about what they want, won't they? In fact, mm-hmm. any Disney film that has any songs in it, within about twenty minutes of the of the film, maybe even earlier than that, the protagonist will sing and they will tell you exactly what their want is. So in The Lion King, uh, Simba sings about he just can't wait to be king. In The Hunchback of Notre Dame, uh, Quasimodo sings about he just wants to be out there. Um, so it happens in pretty much every musical Disney film. So you get that want. You, you are told exactly what they want right at the beginning of the film. Yeah. But the want is not what they need. It's never what they need. It's, it's their perceived want, but their need is always something else. And so Simba's need is that he needs to uh, take some responsibility, which he's not got right at the beginning. He needs to uh, live up to his father's standards and then lead the, the pride. Um, in, uh, in Hunchback of Notre Dame, Quasimodo, needs to find love. He doesn't want to be out there. He needs to find someone who loves him because he thinks that Frollo loves him, but that's really not the case. And he needs to go and find people that will love him and accept him for who he is. And you can go into any Disney film and find this. You can go into any film and find this. Um, so thing about um, Jurassic Park, well, Dr. Grant just wants to be left alone to do his paleontology in peace. That's his want. But his need is that he needs to um, make sure that the, the past stays in the past so that he can protect the present. But he doesn't mm. really realise that. And what you'll find is that as you get towards the climax of the film, a, a good protagonist, a hero protagonist, will put their, their need ahead of their want. And if everything comes good and it's a nice, happy ending, they'll end up getting both. But if you get uh, a film where it's maybe a tragedy, they'll get neither, but they'll still try and put their need or the needs of others ahead of their own wants, which is great. And so in a really well-told story, um, you can, to, in, in order to find the conflict, you can play these off against each other. Yeah, that's it. In lots of different ways. Like, I know we're simplifying this here. We talk about Simba just wanting to be king, right, in The Lion King. But he doesn't just want to be king. He doesn't want to have to do anything. He wants to enjoy all the benefits, that all the superficial benefits that come along with being king. It's not just the, the main line of the song might be, I want to be king. Matthew just made a great point in the chat as well. Uh, Matthew's joining us this week as well. Um, around about the musicals and, and Wicked. And it's just, and I think when you start digging into this and a lot of really good stories, and I think Disney are particularly good at this. Uh, I was watching the Mighty Ducks series recently because I loved the Mighty Ducks film when I was a boy and I was on TV. Um, and, uh, and, and my wife didn't go into bed relatively early. So I was just watching whatever I wanted for a change and it was on. I was like, oh, great. Every character has a want to need transition. That's not just the main protagonist hero. It's, it's everybody has it woven in and they all have a journey. They're all fighting their own want versus even realizing it's their own. So there's plenty of opportunities for people watching to tag into the story that most resonates with them and love that character for the way they're overcoming their own challenges. Um, and, and yeah, there's, there's multiple layers to those wants and needs as well, which is obviously how you develop an entire series. 
less time in a business story. And, and that's where you have to simplify this if it's a short story and then elongate where it's longer because there are multiple levels to this stuff. Um, but it's, it, once you see the pattern, you can't unsee the pattern. Yeah, 100%. And at the end of this, this chapter two, as is the case in all the chapters, I've, I've got a, uh, a series of su- success tasks for people to go away and do. And the first success task is to go away and watch your favorite movie or watch whatever you're currently watching. If it's a TV series, if it's a series of movies like Mighty Ducks, and go and find out, go and work out what your protagonist's uh, want is and what their need is and work out how the, the director and the writer is playing them off against each other to find that conflict. And once you've spotted it, as you say, and, you, and you've done it in, in one or two movies or one or two TV shows and you've worked it out, you'll find it every single time. And, and you're right, as you said right at the beginning, this will start to ruin movies for you. I, I, I watched over the weekend um, uh, Slow Horses, the Gary Oldman series on uh, Apple. Brilliant series. But because I know how this works, I knew at exactly what point <laughs> throughout the series what was going to happen. And I didn't quite get all of the nuances of the story, but I knew when certain things were going to happen. I knew roughly how things were going to happen. I knew mm. roughly who was going to die, who wasn't, and when they were likely to survive, and uh, all of these kind of things. You, you just know it's coming, and, that, and that's, that's a pretty good show. It's a pretty complicated show. It's a spy thriller, so loads of twists and turns, but you still get to the stage where you can work these things out. Imagine watching something like Transformers when you know all of this stuff. No wonder that <laughs> no wonder that bores people senseless because there's hardly there's hardly any want and need there, and they really don't play themselves off against each other. Oh, they do like hunks of metal fighting each other. <laughs> Just yeah, so it's um, <laughs> It, it's important to know this. And then once, once you've got it, once you understand that, once you've seen it in whatever it is you're watching or whatever, you, whatever it is that you're reading, if you're working your way through a novel at the moment, once you've seen it and you've worked it out, then it can start to be applied to your, your business stories, to your case studies, to your testimonials, all of that. So have you got a, a story recently in, 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 in your business world, in some of the stuff that you use when you're selling, where you've been able to see this where you've been able to add in your customers wants and their needs and play them off against each other to be able to help tell this story so that it's not just your typical oh there was no business and now there's (laughs) (laughs) the standard hero story of any business journey we went and sold all our times um yeah i do so I rewrote um, my my LinkedIn profile relatively recently from what was a, a fairly standard problem agitation solution style of copywriting, which I didn't love, um, to to essentially just be a bit of a personal story, one that I find quite entertaining and funny. About the first day I went to school, and uh, using a lot of principles in the book, and I can't. I mean, I I'm going to digress a little bit here. I know we're not just purely here to to do it and I know that nobody can see me holding the book up right now as well but I am on Zoom and I can hold the book up here um, I, I love the action points at the end of each chapter I thought that really that separated out and it's something that obviously as a sales trainer you know I impart a lot of information to people business development consulting coaching and the information is wonderful and it's great and it's all useful when you do nothing with it with it you really don't you get a very surface level understanding you have to go and implement and then you'll learn off the back of the implication. You make mistakes, and then you'll, you can adjust it. And that's life. That's, that's how it goes when you're learning any new skill. 
And so I love that at the end of each chapter was little little bits of action to go away and just do and really get into the the nitty gritty of it. Because it's fine to read this as one and read and you'll understand it intellectually when you do it. When you actually start seeing it in the films, um, you know, I, I joke at the beginning about it. That's me just dropping the book. I joke at the beginning about it. Um, it ruining stories. Yes, it's to an extent it ruins stories, but it's kind of like that Feynman quote, isn't it? Where when you understand that you can look at the, the trees and the plants and appreciate their beauty on the surface level, that's wonderful. But when you can appreciate all of the interactions beneath the surface of them and then down to the atomic level of how that's formed and the, the, there's a whole, there's several other layers of appreciation you can build into everything that you're looking at, which I think is quite beautiful. But anyway, back to the question, which was, yes, yes, I have built a story. Uh, a story about my first day at school. Um, and I was not very happy in my first day of school. And I don't know whether it's giving you more details on that, whether that's going to ruin it, or whether just to let people go and find my LinkedIn profile and read it. And then you can message me and tell me what you think of the story. But it was, it's not about a business scenario. It's actually largely about my mother. Um, and, and as I said, that first day and, and what went well and what went bad on that first day of school. Great. Well, it's nice to know that it's, uh, it's been put, put into practice um, in, in, your, in your business life. And, and how do you... How do you coach it then with your sales clients? What, how are you using it in your day-to-day uh, to help your sales clients to be able to implement and see better results? Well, so, so I actively encourage people when they're writing stories to really map this out, right? And you, you've obviously got a lot, bunch of work. So I actually straight, just for those, I recommend follow the book to clients. I just get them to go and, go and look, at, look it up. <clears throat> and then they copy often the kind of structures that I'm using on LinkedIn when they're writing their LinkedIn profiles. But, but if you think about a traditional sales call, I guess this is where it crosses over because we are story, I mean, as the book goes into, and Paul, <laughs> you talk about a lot. We tell stories to ourselves, right? That's how we backwards rationalize. Things happen, we backwards rationalize them, and we put a narrative to that backwards rationalization. So it's, persuasion is a little bit funny in that it sort of happens forward, but it kind of happens in reverse as well, where you'll do something, and then you'll backwards justify why you did it. So an example in sales is, if I get you talking on a sales call, you'll backwards rationalize that you must like and trust me because you're telling me stuff you haven't told anyone else. And this happens fairly often in sales calls when I'm in sales calls with clients and when we, we see clients going out and influence and stuff as well, is people will start to say things and they're like, oh, I never tell anybody this sort of thing. And so the way that the narrative they will say in their heads, it's not, I started liking and really trusting this guy, so I started giving them more information. Often what happens is actually you ask the difficult questions and then they backwards rationalize that they must have liked and trusted you and put the narrative in reverse to explain it away. So... There's kind of an interesting intersection there. And I think even just the structure of a sales call, so standard sales call, you know, everyone starts their sales calls in slightly different, every script slightly different. And of course, it's a real world interaction. So there's no A, B, C, D, E, F. It's always going to go in that order. That's just not the reality of sales. Um, but we kind of start with what, is, what does the client actually want? What's the outcome they want to achieve? Because we don't have that well-defined. You can't shoot for it in really simple terms. So we've got to define that want. And really the purpose of a sales call is to eventually get the person to the point of needing to understand that the reason they are not where they want to be is their fault. They are doing something wrong. Give them some insights on what they're doing wrong. Now, that structure within a sale is exactly the same structure we see in the Disney movies where we get them to articulate the want of what they want to achieve. It's usually the superficial stuff that people come out with here. People, when you ask someone what they want, they very rarely say, well, do you know what? Actually, I'm just wanting to grow the business to a point where I don't have to work more than five hours a day so I can spend tons of time with my 
wife, family, kids, husband, whatever, um, and do X, Y, Z. Because the most important value that I was brought up with my family. But that's what they actually, that is what they really, really want. You never get there. You get that, well, I want to do 20K a month and I want to double this and I need to, you know, you get all the surface level stuff, superficial external stuff. And a good sales call takes you from that place to then recognizing the reason I am not there. So I'm lacking in something, whether that's a skill set, a tool or a technology or something else. And that is my fault. Because if you don't get them to the point of recognizing it's their fault, that's where we end up in this horrible sticky plaster and nothing ever gets solved for businesses. And they jump from strategy to strategy to thing to thing and nothing's actually fixed or changed. And so you're playing off then that, that want that they've got at the beginning to that, to finding that need with them. And yeah. are you creating that conflict then during that sales call or are you trying to take away the conflict? No, you're, you're, you're creating the conflict because they have to realize you're, you're taking them, you're almost taking them through a narrative, right? Now, I don't necessarily structure the sales call in that way. There's different structures we use to get there. But yeah, we are ultimately getting them to realize we have to get them to realize. We have to challenge them to realize that, yes, that might be what you want, but there's a reason you're not there. And what is that reason? And get them to uncover something else that needs to happen here. They need to have that realization. And in many cases, it's like a reframe, right? How do you actually persuade somebody to do something different? Most of it comes down to reframing the situation. And so we're, 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 we're essentially reframing it from that want to the need through the sales call. And that involves asking quite challenging questions and putting them on spot and getting them to make decisions. Sometimes those decisions go for us and we move forward. And sometimes those decisions go against us and they decide that for whatever reason, they aren't yet quite ready to go into the hero's journey to accept that that transition over and they, they disappear off the sunset, which is also absolutely fine. Um, because as you know, we're, we're stepping on different chapters here, but you're a mentor. You're not the hero on the sales call. That's the same thing. You as the salesperson are doing a job. You are the mentor. It's up to the hero to step forward and, and decide that they're going to change. Ultimately Simba and the Lion King is the one who decides actually this whole Kuna Matara and staying out of the way when everything's falling apart back home, that's, God, that's actually not what I really want, you know? I have to face that choice. Nobody can push him over that threshold except from himself. Same thing in a sales call. I can't push a prospect someone over. I can put the choice in front of them, clearly. Ultimately, they have to decide they're ready to walk over and, and recognize it and move forward. So in the storytelling context, job of the narrative is to put the choice in front of the character and let the character make the choice. Sales call, your job is to put the choices in front of the prospect and let them make the choices to which way they want to go. And I know when, we, when we've talked through sales strategy, sales scripts and all the rest of it, you, as part of that kind of choice and as part of that kind of helping them to become the hero, there's a lot of pushing them away and kind of telling them not to be the hero, isn't there? That, that's part of it. That's kind of the fun part, isn't it? Uh, so that's the most fun part. Yeah, you've got to challenge people. I mean, there's, there's two sides to that. One is it's easy for us all to get stuck in what's currently going on and enjoying it. And again, there's parallels to storytelling here with the want versus the need. Simba's quite happy when he's sitting there, you know, Hakuna matata all day long, singing and just enjoying life. That whole song is about how great his life is, right? Perfectly comfortable, no challenge whatsoever. So a little bit of it, we have to push people outside the comfort zone and try and push them away. And the reason we push them away rather than pull them towards us is we're, 
because we need people to have a choice in what they're going to do because it's hard to improve. And if they can't make the simple decisions about that when it's just verbally put to them, there's no way they're going to do it in real life. And then <clears throat> I guess the, um, the other part of that is there's also that emphasis on autonomy, isn't it, for people by pushing them away and trying to disqualify them and get them and challenge them to move forward. Um, if, we, if we try to push them in a certain direction, and this is where questions versus statements, people will tend to resist that. Whether they should or shouldn't, and whether they may or may not, if it was put to them in a different way, they will resist it because you're impinging on their autonomy. But when we push people away, we really do give them the choice. And ultimately, when you work with someone, you're going to be challenging them as well. So if they're not ready to hear the challenge for whatever reason, then probably it's not going to go very well when you're working with them. So there's, sort of diff- there's a lot of different strands to why, that, why pushing them away and challenging them is a better strategy. And then there's the element of, does this just sit better with the way that our brains work in terms of that mentor story that we've heard our entire life, right? The mentor is never in a position of not challenging the hero. In fact, the mentor's role is to challenge the hero. Um, And if they don't, they're not a very good mentor. I can't think of any examples in films where the mentor doesn't challenge. Can you think of any? Not of any good films. I'm trying to think of bad films where the mentor doesn't challenge the hero. No. Now, even in the bad films, the mentor tends to challenge the hero. Tends to challenge the hero. So there's something just innate in our heads around about that's what it that's how it goes, isn't it? That's the kind of that's the arc that we would expect to see. So to some extent, we're just fulfilling that arc through the through the sales process. Um I've been rewatching Scrubs recently, so I keep rethinking of Scrubs, but of course, Dr. Cox is constantly challenging baby. I mean, literally, all the time. <laughs> and and I think Scrubs is just such an incredible show, isn't it? I mean, my goodness. Scrubs, Scrubs for me is, is, the, is the best written comedy of all time. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And do you know what's sad is a lot of people listening to this who may never have heard of the show Scrubs. Yeah. Because we're old now, Paul. I know. Although because of the podcasts that, that Zach Braff and Donald Faison do, it's kind of coming back. And they have just announced that they're doing a movie. So it, it have may, they have. So it may well come wow. back. May well. We go. well, we should, you should, we should step back and put it to them. We get some sponsorship. That's, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's on Disney Plus. Buy Disney Plus. There we go. That's a throw to Disney Plus as well. Get sponsorship from Disney while we're in there. Um, is the, the way that they can, they can be so goofy one second and then throw it to absolute tragedy the next second and then bring it back to goofy is just incredible. The, the, the storytelling is phenomenal. And um, yeah. If you've not seen Scrubs, watch some Yeah, Scrubs. watch Scrubs. I was going to say, is there a particular episode that like, has stayed with you? Yeah, so there's, there's, there's two that I absolutely love, and there's one that I can't watch um, <laughs> because it's just too tragic. There's not enough goofiness in it. Um, there's, there's one that I, that I love, which I think is most people's favourite uh, Scrubs episode. It's the one that most people go to which is when Brendan Fraser's character comes back uh, from his travels. And I don't want to say too much because it'll give too much Another away. Yeah. Um, but that's absolutely amazing. Um, but my, fa- my, my favourite one is, is the one I do talk about in the book, which is um, when uh, 
when uh, Molly comes, uh, come, uh, Molly's leaving actually, and uh, and JD tries to to catch up with her in order to be able to uh, have a night of uh, passion with her. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, Doctor Cox is uh, forced to do some community service in the ambulance with a lady who just talks incessantly, and um, the way that that episode is so goofy, it's so funny. And then at the end, it just crushes you with a moment of absolute tragedy. Um, it's just, it's just great. And then the one that I can't watch because it's just too tragic um, happens around about season seven, I think, um, after the after the, the episode after the car accident. Um, but I shan't say any more because that will give too much away. But it's too much away. Yeah, there just there's so many good. My old lady in season one is actually one of my favourites. Hmm. That's just such a, like, and again, I don't want to give too much of the story away, but with JD just trying to convince this woman that she, um, there's more to live for and the huge list of things. And they're just, it's, it's phenomenal the way they, and, it, and again, it's all happening at that one versus new level. I mean, you know, it's just, um, it's so critical to good storytelling and, and it's so badly done, particularly in business storytelling. And and a lot of marketers out there will talk about the hero journey, and they just miss the the soul. They really just miss the soul of all. Yeah. Um, which results in a lot of rubbish. Yes, so much rubbish. So much rubbish. <laughs> so much rubbish. Um, and and shallow stories that really nobody's you know nobody's better off for reading at the end of them. No, which is such a shame. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Oh, that 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 my my old lady episode that that reminds me and brings me to something else that I wanted to talk to you about. You spend a lot of time uh, working with Samaritans yes. on the phones, and I imagine uh, your sales training probably helps an awful lot with that. And I imagine you learn a lot of lessons with the Samaritans that probably helps within your sales. Um, Very much. Tell me a little bit about that. Well, I mean, so presuming most people know what the Samaritan Samaritans is. Um, so yeah, so we have a huge, obviously a huge variety of callers uh, come in. And, and if, if anybody has time, then, you know, there's something like every six or seven seconds, a call is answered by the Samaritans in the UK. And there's always people waiting 10, 15 minutes. So if, if it is something of interest, then please feel free 
to reach out more than happy to chat you through the kind of what it would look like if you did want to, to help out on it what the interview process looks like it is quite a rigorous training uh, regime and you're constantly checked as well but i'm happy to to help anybody that's keen to get involved and give you some guidance so just reach out to me and ask first thing um yes tremendous uh, tremendous amount of college and obviously the, the, lots of different situations and we are not allowed on the Samaritans to offer any advice whatsoever. Um, it's about listening, non-judgmentally, um, with as much understanding as you can to lots of different people from lots of different walks of life, lots of different backgrounds, and in lots of different situations. And helping them to see if they are ready, that there may be alternatives to what they're currently doing and considering. And, and we're talking everything from people being lonely here to you know, people in prison to obviously the, the, um, the sadder phone calls where you have somebody who has decided that they, um, they want to end their life. And um, it, it, this theme of want versus need kind of, uh, and you're obviously less challenging a Samaritan's call than you're going to be in a sales call because the situations are more delicate generally. So I, I, yes, the techniques are very similar, but we're far, far softer and there's appreciation for how you use the techniques um, to, to challenge people. It's about getting them to articulate often in a Samaritan's call just what they actually want to happen. And we don't really get a chance to go further because by the, some of these situations are horrendous and um, and people aren't that comfortable necessarily to talk about them straight off the bat, even though they've called the Samaritan line. So, you know, often the first 15, 20 minutes is surface level, nothing to do with anything, information they're giving you. Um, and then slowly but surely as the person becomes more comfortable, if they become more comfortable, because we can't force people to become comfortable, if they become more comfortable, they'll start to open up about perhaps what's really going on. And then a large part of the call is spent trying to understand what do they actually want off the back of that? Um, and where do they want to be? Um, and I think what's, what's sort of amazing to me about the Samaritans calls are that, um, and the story arc, people actually don't need an awful lot of encouragement to, to start getting there themselves in this want versus need when you really listen to it and spot the pattern in real life. You actually don't need to necessarily challenge them. The reason we do it on a sales call is to shorten the interaction time. Because it's the business, but but in a smart spot, obviously that's not the, that's not the end of the game. Um, so they they kind of start telling the arc themselves and, and really getting into it quite naturally with just a few encouragers. So one of the, the listening techniques, and you can use this real life with sales calls as well, is just to say "aha" mm -hmm, and acknowledge what they're saying. Maybe repeat the odd word that they're saying as an encourager. Someone says, "You know, oh, I've, it's been a really tough weekend." You might just say, mm, "Tough weekend." Yeah just to, to let them know that you're actually listening and you're hearing what they're saying. And you, you just say it softly in that kind of warm tone of voice so that they, um, they'll just keep talking and just encourage them and let them know, hey, I'm really hearing what you're saying here. I think one of the jokes that one of the guys that joined the Samaritans with me uh, in my cohort said was, I never thought I could have an hour conversation by saying nothing more than, uh -huh. mm, yeah, mm, uh -huh. <laughs> it's just amazing the volume of information that people can give you. Uh, off the back of that and a little bit of silence as well and that's the other big thing is uh, silence when somebody is in a particular emotional state and if you ever have a friend or something that's in an emotional state sometimes just asking the question how are you and then shutting up when they go yeah I'm alright just give them a few extra seconds um, you know we, 
people often think of silence as being uncomfortable in conversations. But if you think of silence more as thinking time for the other person and being a bit respectful of them, it actually completely, for me, reframes and changes the entire interaction. So it's just allowing them that space that in case they want to say anything else, they may not want to, which is totally fine. But if they do, you're giving them that opportunity. Um, and and then if somebody said, you know, and I, I think this is something, again, maybe a bit of a side note here, but some, if you ask somebody how they are and you get the impression of feeling bad because of the way they've said it, that they're not really okay, there's nothing wrong with turning around and are you sure? And just shutting up again and listening. They may say nothing. You know, you can't, you can't force people. This obviously informs what I do in sales. Well, you can't force people to, to go one way or another. We're not trying to force them either. We don't really want to force people. Um, we're just we're just giving them a bit of thinking time for this space, and we'll see what happens. Maybe they want to open up, and you might be the thing that saves them that day and and really gives them a boost that allows them to shine the light. Maybe they won't. Maybe they're not yet ready. Both are fine. But I guarantee that the fact that you just checked in with them and were really conscious of it and present with them and gave them that little extra three four second gap that can mean the world to people. Um, and I think that if you can do that every day in your interactions, that has um. It's a very small, very simple thing to do. Like a lot of things in sales and communication, very simple. Intellectually, everyone will get that. Easy to do, not so much when you're in the situation and not when you're in a rush and you've got 50 things on in your business and you don't want to stop and really ask someone how they're doing because you're in your own headspace. Very hard. Um, so simple, but not necessarily easy. It's brilliant. And um, what, what you do in, in sales is amazing. But the the time that you put aside, and I know that you do the night shifts with Samaritans. I think it's uh, it's really admirable what you do. Uh, so well done. Um, if if anyone's listening and and they are thinking, well, actually, I, I wouldn't mind a chat with the Samaritans. Um, what? How did they get in touch? What 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 number do they ring? Call. It's free. Call us. Um, there's actually, and, and I, I have hastened to add this. Um, Calling is great. I prefer a call because that, that we can get usually a lot further and a call a lot quicker. Um, so, you know, absolutely do that. You can email us as well. I'm just going to call the details up for people. You can email it as well. And you can also chat. We have a chat service now, which is pretty cool. So I know there's a particularly younger people, much younger than myself. Um, I would call all the time because, well, I'm a salesman and the phone is my life, right? Um, but, um, but yeah, if you call, uh, if, you, if you don't want to talk to someone necessarily, you want to email, we can email. That's absolutely fine. It's the same volunteers that respond to it. Um, you know, allow, allow time in between responses because it's not instantaneous email and volunteers are on different shifts and everything. Um, we have a chat function as well and you can go into the chat function, which I think is accessible from the website. And you're talking to a real human being. I hasten to add on that chat function. It is a real volunteer who is sitting there responding. If you're not comfortable talking and maybe it feels better to write it down, write it down um, and, and just, just get it out there. And it helps, you know, and it's not enough to be a one-off call. It can be multiple calls that are support um, pieces in play um, so that we can, we can do ongoing, ongoing support and conversations um, and we can you know, we can guide you towards places that might be beneficial and helpful for you. Um, I think, the other, you know, the other thing that really helps in Samaritans, if there is anyone that's jumping out there, is sometimes it's difficult to open up to people who 
you are with every single day because, or even counselors or psychologists or you know people who are there to help you because there can be real consequences for the things that you say to people in those positions, um, which, which, which can make it a harder, there's a bit of a barrier. But at Samaritans, you don't need to give the name. You are completely anonymous to us. Uh, and, and likewise, we are to you, which is kind of beneficial both ways, I suppose. So, um, so that, that can be really helpful because when you hang up that phone, you know, the, we may take notes during following the Samaritans to remind us of what's been said so we can come back and ask questions about it, but there, nothing is safe at all. It's all just gotten rid of immediately um, so that there's nothing retained at all on our side. Um, so it really is a totally anonymous conversation where you are free from all forms of judgment, which I think is quite um, quite unique. I'm not sure there's any conversations we have in life where, where people genuinely are not judging something about us and what we're saying and, and have nothing more than a goal of just understanding. I actually can't think of any other conversations I have where I'm just purely trying to understand. Because in sales, obviously I'm looking to understand. I am looking to move an interaction forward and get them to make decisions. So there's far there are secondary and uh, tertiary objectives going on. But I don't know, Paul, can you think of any? Nothing that comes to mind. Um, I know that when I'm listening to, to people in just a friendship conversation, I'll always try and do it without judgment. But you, 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 it's, it's always slightly clouded, isn't it? It's hard not to, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and especially with, you know, it's, with friends and... Uh, I mean, I, th- I think this is quite a funny statistic is that all these active listening techniques, which the Samaritans primarily use, the same stuff that the FBI use. I mean, we've spoken about Never Split Difference uh, as a book and Chris Voss's formulation. He basically took the Samaritans listening wheel, having worked in suicide lines and modified it for. And the British police force used something very similar, which um, slightly less Americanized, but the principles are exactly the same. It actually comes from the same place, the Samaritans. And there's two... Um, two university professors at Liverpool, the Allisons, Liverpool, again, who've done a hell of a lot of research with, uh, research with the Met who have a very similar techniques. It's record-based techniques. Um, and I've completely forgotten the point I was about to make up. Oh, sorry. It's, uh, these tactics work brilliantly, absolutely brilliantly. Hostage negotiations, sales, you know, conversations on the phone with Samaritans, getting people to open up and getting more information. There's one situation they fail consistently. And that is... In, in personal interactions, particularly marriages. So in every single marriage counseling, but basically in the world, they recommend active listening as, well, as well, something you should practice with your, your significant other. Um, and we can't do it as human beings because we are too emotionally involved and we cannot stop ourselves from snapping back questions or from shooting out objections or judging. We just, we just can't because there's an immediate impact on us as individuals. So um, it's, uh, yeah. We can try our hardest in personal interactions. I think we need to give ourselves a wee bit of forgiveness as well, as because despite the fact that psychologists will recommend it, the world overall of the research would suggest that that's not possible. <laughs> so, Ian, uh, what, what's the best number for people to get in touch with the Samaritans uh, and, the, and the web address if, if people w- wanted to get in touch? So, Samaritans.org is the, the web address. All the details are on there. And then, if you want to talk, it's 116123. Um, and depending on when you call, there may be a small wait time. As we said, there's a there's a lot of calls going on across the UK, but somebody will pick up the uh, the phone for you and give you as much time as you need. Uh, and I, maybe that's something else that's worth pointing out. But we're not in a 
you know, we're not a timer. We're, we're, we're there to talk as long as you need and want to talk. That's 10 minutes. That's absolutely fine. That's an hour and a half. That's absolutely fine. And if you want to, as I said, have ongoing conversations with us, and then you can ask for callbacks and various other things that we can do for you to, to help support you. So, yeah, it's, um, it's there. It's a service. Please use it. Please don't feel that you have to be, you know, uh, contemplating suicide. Obviously, you're contemplating suicide. Do call as well. But they, we're not sorting one particular problem on the line. It's whatever is currently going on for you if you just want somebody to listen. Great, great work. Uh, well, well done for all the work that you're doing there. Um, so as with all of our guests, Ian, I always ask three quick fire questions at the end of the, uh, the end of the podcast. So you're getting the same treatment, I'm afraid. Um, so who, who do you think of when you hear the word story and why do you think of that person? You, Paul. And I haven't, I mean, that, I genuinely, I, I think of you. Um, I mean, without being too sycophantic and sort of, um, uh, kissy backsidey, um, uh, I've I've read a fair number of books on storytelling, and I've obviously read a lot of Martin Sales books as well. I mean, the whole field of human pleasure just—I find it absolutely fascinating. It's something that I read for pleasure as well as my job. Um, and and I genuinely don't think—and I said this to you at the time as well—I genuinely don't think there is a better book at breaking down the concepts out there. Um, I can't think of a single book. No, I mean, there's multiple books that might be able to get close to it, but as, as, a, as a complete guide and blueprint, I genuinely think that is the best book. And so I, I genuinely think of, I think of you. Um, and like I said, that this, you know, the one need, the actual core context of what we're talking about in the podcast, you can really start thinking what that is and getting clarity in your own head when you're telling stories, what the want to need transition is and, and look at the challenges on it. Your stories just go up, I think, more than a factor of 10. They really do. It's like, it's like, um, uh, gasoline on a fire so so the person I think of is you and everyone should read your book as quickly as possible well thank you that's made my day <laughs> uh, to all the other people everyone else has said um, that that puts me on a very uh, a very good list thank you Ian <laughs> um, so you're not allowed to say me on this one or my book oh goodness but can you recommend any other good books, websites, blogs, podcasts uh, around about storytelling or, or sales for, your, for what, what it is that you, you look at on a daily basis? What do I look at on a daily basis? Um, well, I mean, one of, one of my genuine favorite books, um, and I think there's, no, there's a lot of great sales books out there. Um, that help with this kind of storytelling persuasion uh, piece. Never Split the Difference is a fantastic book. And I think gives a really good introduction to some of the techniques that can be used. I think um, there's a lot of great lessons in there. There's a lot of subtlety that's missed out, but that's inevitable in a book. Um, but it's a great start for a lot of people. And it, it, to me, really reframes and changes people's minds in terms of how they think about persuading people and getting clarification. I mean, I, I joke on LinkedIn, right? ABCs of selling, which is, of course, always the closing from Gary Glenn Ross. Um, and I, I joke about it being always be clarifying because I think that's what great sales really is about. And I suppose Never Split the Difference is one of those books that really resonated with me because it, it very much agrees with that sort of philosophy. So brilliant book, worth checking out. Any of the blog posts by Ross's team, uh, the Black Swan group, big, big fan of those. They're worth reading. Um, 
I would just urge a little bit of caution in that they there's subtlety there which they're missing. Um, and everything in sales and communication is contextual. And so whilst the theory and some of the lines that he uses are absolutely brilliant, the context is obviously absolutely critical as well. And there's some subtlety he speaks in there. And the only way you're going to get that, I mean, well, you know, by all means, go and work with a sales chain or work with someone that knows that stuff. But the only real way you can get an appreciation of that, even with a sales chain or telling you what the subtlety is going to be, is if you use it. And more than likely fail at using it the first few times you do because that's the nature of the beast. It's a new skill set. You're going to get out there. You're going to get it wrong. Um, and that's okay. That's, that's how we learn. Um, so, yeah, never split the difference in the Black Swan group. There's definitely one resource. And then there's a ton of other books like The Challenger Sale and so, things like that. I would encourage people to go and take a look at as well. Yeah, it's a good shout. My latest copy of Chris Voss's book arrived yesterday. And by late copy, I mean because I've given so many copies of it away to other people. <laughs> um, but I like having a copy of it on my shelf just as reference, because um, it's great just before you're going into uh, a meeting. I had a meeting last week where I had to, um, uh, it was going to be, a, I knew it was going to be a tough negotiation. Mm. And um, I didn't have my copy to hand to just kind of flick through and, and look at all the headings to, to just remind myself. And I flicked through it again. I, I mean, the negotiation worked out really well. Um, it was Fantastic. a great win-win for everybody. And, um, but I was flicking back through it again last night. I was like, oh, I forgot to do that. I forgot to do that. Oh, I did that. I did that. Oh, I forgot about that. Um, as it turned out, it worked out really, really well. But um, yeah, it's, it's great just to have that as, as a refresher. And um, it's, it's one of those books that I, I recommend to everybody and pass on. That's fantastic, isn't it? everybody. It's a, it's a really good book. Because I think I might be a bit too close to this, right? So I'm kind of interested in this question. I'm interrupting your three quick-fire questions. Right. How are we for time just now before we... Oh, uh, my time's good. Um, It's your time now. My time's good. So um, what's the idea that you think really changed from that book? What's one or two things you took away from that book that made such a big difference in the way that you approach negotiation sales? So I really like the labeling. Mm Mm-hmm. I think that's that's really nice, and I really like going for no. Yeah. Okay. So, so for those on the maybe that haven't read, but then labeling is it sounds like it feels like, um, and there's another one, there's another formulation he uses, but it's it's basically it's observing what's. I I really like seems seems like seems like yeah yeah okay, and you can use that and that so that that's one that we use quite often in lots of different situations. If you know it sounds like you're feeling quite angry just now, we can use it to talk about emotions, right, and open up emotional conversations. And, I, and so I suppose that it's one of those, you know, that's because I think talking about the subtleties of these things and people are probably listening, thinking like, well, that's bloody great. But what are those subtleties? And, and give us an actual example to, and there's lots of different subtleties, but labeling is, is a useful technique in and of itself. Um, but how you use it and what you highlight when you put out the label is what's going to direct. And that's the skill. It's, you know, so it sounds like, uh, it sounds like you're feeling angry. <laughs> When someone is angry, it's probably going to make them angrier. And that might be what you need because it's what they need before they're going to ready to calm down, as an example. So labeling the emotion doesn't always necessarily immediately quiet the emotion. Sometimes it pumps it up. And sometimes that's what you want. Other times it's not what you want. So it might not be the best choice to use. Um, and it may be to make a presumptive label, which I don't think Chris Ross talks about. It's one of the things that we might use. She might say, oh, that sounds like you've been burned before. And they're either going to contradict you or 
they're going to give you information about the time they were burned. And if they have been burned, that's the kind of label that would usually cause some kind of vomit. <laughs> 10 minutes of spiel, which is useful to advance conversation. So it's like, it's that kind of subtlety. I think the, the technique of labeling itself is a great technique, but how you actually deploy that technique is, is what makes the difference between it being a, eh, okay, it didn't really do anything to actually that gave me five minutes of information and somebody going on. Um, and you're bang on on the, the no. That is just, um, makes such a huge difference. Is there a time you've used it recently? Um, yes, uh, there's been a, a, quite a few times that I've used it. Well, uh, pretty much ever since I read the book, um, I use okay. it as often as I can. Uh, and it kind of just happens naturally now. I go for mm. no rather than yes. Um, and I tend to formulate it in a kind of, there's only reason why this can't happen. Um, so yeah, I, uh, without going into too many details with. No, no, no. I could talk about that for another hour. I, I use, yeah. Actually, I used it on Friday, um, and, and got the results I wanted. Um, so that, that was the last time I, I can remember using it rather than just kind of naturally in my, in my everyday. So I used it on an email on Friday, um, for quite, for quite a big thing and, uh, and, and it worked out to my advantage. So, um, yeah, it's, it's forcing a decision point. So I, I make a distinction between just going for no one, what I call, um, line in the sand questions. Um, and it's, it's that kind of, there's a bit of a subtlety there. We can go for a no, but if we're not making them make a decision on the no, then it's actually kind of, it's almost a bit of a pointless throwaway. So there's a subtlety there for me, which I don't think is heavily explored in the book, but I'm almost certain he does in it. I'm assuming he does in his training. I've never taken training, but I'm assuming he does do in his training. And so it's that kind of thing where there's just, there's slight tweaks to these things that just, you know, dial up the potency of, of the technique. But it's definitely worth reading. Oh yeah. Oh, hundred percent. hundred percent. The last last quick fire question, not that <laughs> last one was <laughs> quick fire. Sorry, So, where can we find out more about you, and where can we find you online uh, and anywhere else that you might be hiding? That, that I can answer quickly. So, LinkedIn is the best place to reach out to me uh, on uh, um, IGN Ventures. If you search that, you'll get through to me, or Ian McMichael, and you can get through to my personal profile and reach out and message have a website as well and you have you're welcome to fire an email at the website uh, but it's not something we respond to terribly quickly linkedin if you want to actually have a conversation is where we pick up from great and it's ian spelled the scottish way isn't it spell the scottish way i-a-i-n yeah sorry i say to everyone it's gallic for john um and, and very few people appreciate that it's ian down here i have to say i moved to england two and a half years ago now and i fairly frequently get called lane um much to my wife's utter amusement. And in fact, the other thing, because my surname is Mick Michael, which I don't think is that uncommon, you know, Mix and Max, they're certainly not uncommon in Scotland and Ireland, but down here, um, I, I once ordered a taxi from Mick Michael and the guy turned up and said, is Mick here? <laughs> I actually thought it was Mick and then Michael. It's just like Michael, Mike. Anyway, that, that cracks my wife up as well. She thinks it's brilliant. But <laughs> Amazing. Well, Ian, thank you very much for... Uh, the time that you've spent and the, the wisdom you've shared and uh, the, the sycophancy as well. That was uh, <laughs> my day. You're welcome. You're welcome. All genuine. All genuine meant and deserved, I might add. Undeserved. Well, thank you very much. And um, maybe we'll, uh, maybe we should do, pick another book one day and just spend uh, another hour just uh, having a chat about that. <laughs> you tell me the book and I will waffle. <laughs> okay. Sounds good to me. Well, thanks again, and uh, I look forward to doing this again soon. Thank you. Thanks, Paul. 
just a quick reminder that my book, Rule the World, Master the Power of Storytelling to Inspire, Influence and Succeed, is now available. You can get hold of your copy in all good bookshops, including Amazon and Kindle, Waterstones and WH Smith in the UK, Barnes and Noble in the US, and all good bookshops throughout the rest of the world. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Rule the World. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show. And visit weareopusmedia.com for more resources based on today's topic, as well as access to more episodes that will help you develop your storytelling abilities. That's weareopusmedia.com. Thank you, and see you next time. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.